Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Does anyone even enjoy going to the mailbox anymore? It seems like there's less and less in there other than bills. As a matter of fact, how many of you um, really could appreciate uh, a nice letter being received in your belt box? How about we'll do it like this? How many of you in the past year have received a handwritten letter? Let's just show hands. How many of you? See, there, there's a fair number of you, but now let's do this. How many of you in the last 24 hours have received a personally designed email or text? How many of you in the past 24 hours, right? Yeah, everybody gets emails and texts, and I love emails. It makes everything so much more efficient. can get so much more done now uh, than I could before there was email. But I will readily admit that there is something so much more personable, uh, intimate about a letter. Receiving that kind of a letter, opening it, reading through. Somebody took the time to craft it, to put all those words together. It's a beautiful thing. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at seven different letters. Seven letters written to seven different churches. We're going to be camping out for seven weeks in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So if you have your Bible app or your Bible, it'll be really easy to get to the last book that you will find in there. And it's a relevant series because the compliments, the admonitions, the things that are pointed out, the exhortations, the instructions, all of those things that you'll see in these seven letters to the seven churches, they're relevant not just for the churches they were written to, but they're relevant to you and I today. They're relevant to our church today. Now, Crossroads, if you didn't know it, were just a little north of, what, 210 years old. And if you notice a little bit of our history, I believe as we go through this series, you'll see a bit of us, maybe in a few or even all of the churches that are written to in these seven letters. But so much more important than that is that I want you to hear from God because I think you're going to see a bit of yourself in the words that are written. Some really good things that are true in your life and my life and some things that aren't so good that are also true in your life and my life. But here's the situation. The apostle John uh, believed to be about 90 years old. Uh, he is the last living apostle, and he is on Patmos, an island in the Aegean Sea. And just so you have the right idea, Patmos is not a retirement village. Uh, it is not a vacation spot. Uh, it is a penal colony. And John is put there. As a matter of fact, if you look in Chapter 1, uh, verse 9, it reads like this. I, John, am your brother and, you, and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in, in patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled, exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? For preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. And during this time in exile, during his time on Patmos, uh, he hears this loud booming voice like a trumpet. And he sees these visions and he is instructed to write it all down. As a matter of fact, in verse 19 of chapter one, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening 
and the things that will happen. And here's what I want to make sure you don't miss this. Don't fall into the trap when you read Revelation to think that everything is future focused, that everything is prophecy regarding the end times. There are things in Revelation that are happening right now, happening 2,000 years ago, things that were happening in these seven literal churches. But there are things that also applied for the past 2,000 years and apply to us today. Because the issues that these churches were facing 2,000 years ago are issues that the churches has faced for the past 2,000 years and the churches that today face as well. If you want to take a look at this map, this is the seven letters we're going to be working through in seven weeks. And, you know, John is on Patmos and modern-day Turkey is where all seven of these churches are located. If, if you go to modern-day Turkey, you can visit the geographical locations where these churches once existed. But this is also the Roman mail route. So even if John was in exile and couldn't personally deliver the letters, or he couldn't find someone to take them, the Roman mail system would have made sure the letters got to their intended recipients. So today, let's dig in and let's cover the first letter to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to start out in chapter 2, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And a couple things to note. As you work your way through chapter one of Revelation, there's a couple things you figure it out. It is Jesus who is doing the talking. It is Jesus who holds the seven stars. This is Jesus' words that John is writing down. And most would believe that the angel of the church is the overseer or the pastor of the church. The letters were being written to the overseer or the pastor of each individual church. But the letters weren't just for the pastor. They were to be read by the entire church. And beyond that, most would believe that all seven churches got to read all seven letters. You got to learn from everyone. You got to see what Jesus had to say to each individual church. And there's some implications for all seven letters and implications that are for today. And don't miss this. That Jesus walks among us. Jesus isn't just far away observing from a great distance. Jesus walks among us. He's part of our church family. He, he sees the good and the bad, uh, he sees the beautiful and the ugly. He's a part of the daily life of his bride, the church. Another implication is the pastor's job was never to make everyone happy. A lot of pastors mess that up. Our job is to make God happy. Often when we just try to make people happy, we don't end up making God happy. And for a lot of these pastors to read these letters to their church, and then to take and do the instruction to follow through would not have been easy for a lot of these overseers or the pastors of these seven churches. But now what about you? If you were part of the church in Ephesus and you had heard that not just the Apostle John had written you a letter, but these words were from Jesus because he's been walking among your church. He's seen it all. And he has some things to say to you. 
you would most likely be on pins and needles. You would just want to be hearing, well, what, what does Jesus see? What does Jesus have to say about us? And the good news for the church in Ephesus, it starts out with a lot of good things. Verse 2 reads like this. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. I know all the things that you do. That, that could rattle the most confident Christ follower. But don't get the wrong view of Jesus here. It's not that he's just looking and seeing all that we do just with a stick in his hand, just ready to thump us on the head whenever he messes up. That's not the heart of our father. It's not the heart of Jesus. It's when he sees things where we miss the mark. And it's a broken heart because he knows that if we were just following the will and the direction of the Holy Spirit, there was so much more he has in store for us to do in us and through us and around us. He sees it all. He sees the good and the bad. And he tells the church in Ephesus, I saw it, man. I saw your hard work. I saw your patient endurance. I saw how you've patiently suffered. And if this letter was written to us today, I believe a lot of those words would apply to us as well. The way that you serve one another, the way that you serve your community, I mean, that's hard work. I mean, where, where could you be today? I mean, come on, right now this morning, you could be sleeping in, going out for breakfast, reading the news, watching TV, whatever. It could all be about you. But you take time to worship your Heavenly Father. You take time to serve one another. For those of you that take and serve throughout the week, you're giving something up. You're giving up more me time, whatever that me time might look like for you. You're giving up to do the hard work of serving one another and serving our community. And what about those words, patiently enduring or patiently suffering? It doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? But Jesus compliments these two items. When others walked away from Jesus or his bride, you stayed. When others allowed the politics of the day to dictate their faith, you focused on Jesus. When others mocked you or looked down on you because you humbled yourself like Jesus did, you suffered and you endured. You didn't give up. You didn't compromise your faith in a way to please the world around you. And Jesus was present and he noticed. And his heart was broken. His people used his bride as a place where political leanings came first and faith came second. But for those of you who would not compromise your integrity or bow your knee or pledge your allegiance to a political party, well, Jesus was walking with you and he was pleased. And then what about that part about, I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. Come on over the 
past years, people have made some pretty incredible claims in God's name. Some people have called them prophecies. You might have labeled them conspiracy theories. And you were willing to call them out on the conspiracy theories. And then when the time came again and again where their prophecies did not come true or were not fulfilled, when the dates that they said, you had no problem labeling them as false prophets. You were seeking wisdom from God and they had the ability to see evil people for who they truly are. While other Jesus followers took the bait and devoted themselves to liars. And Jesus was walking among us. And he noticed. And he was pleased. If you were sitting among your brothers and sisters in the church of Ephesus, and you're thinking, this is all pretty good stuff. Jesus is pleased with us. And then comes that one word, but, capital B-U-T, right? But, there's all this good stuff that Jesus has to say about you. But, he's noticed some other things as well. And they're not all good, and you quickly realize that not all is perfect. But I have this complaint against you, Jesus says. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did first. Come on, ouch. That's got to hurt, right? Those are the kind of words you'll hear in a marriage that's not going well, in a relationship that's not going well, right? You don't love me like you used to. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes love fades or even disappears. Maybe because of neglect or apathy. Maybe because the person isn't as lovable as they once were. But sometimes first love disappears not because we want it to or plan for it to happen, often because we were not paying attention to the relationship or prioritizing it like we once did. If a couple goes into marriage counseling and someone says, I don't love him or I don't love her anymore, the counselor will dig, will ask a lot of questions. But a place where often a lot of counselors will go is they will take you back to the beginning the back to where the relationship first started. And they'll ask questions like, well, when did you first fall in love? What was going on? What were you doing? When did things start to change? And often the counselor will simply urge them to go back and do the works that they first did. You used to get excited and plan for those date nights. Do it again. You used to pick out your outfit and make sure you smelled and looked your best. Do it again. You used to go away for a weekend adventure or a weekend just to relax. Do it again. 
You used to try new things together. You used to build one another up and you would defend one another if somebody ever attacked your partner. You used to prioritize your relationship. And Jesus sits the church in Ephesus down. He says, you don't love me like you used to love me. You don't love one another like you used to love one another. It happens all too easily, right? We get busy. We neglect our relationship with Jesus or is way too far down on our priority list. We get hurt by others in the church. We turn bitter when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want him to. Or something tragic happens in our life and God doesn't intervene the way that we think he should have. And what else causes this? We complain. We complain like the Israelites complained when they left slavery in Egypt and were on the journey of freedom to the promised land. Now, come on, everyone. If you've been a part of Crossroads for a while, you know we got to own this one, right? This is an area where we can actually document it. I can document complaining about moving out of worshiping in a barn and moving to worship into a church building. I can document complaining whenever we were going to introduce a pitch pipe and no longer do everything a cappella. I'm sure there was complaining whenever the spittoons were removed from the sanctuary. I can document that there was complaining when we were going to bring in that worldly instrument of the organ into the church. Complaining whenever there was going to be pads put on the pews. We wouldn't even call them pads, right? Look how many inches of foam you're sitting on, right? Just a little sliver of padding on the bottom. And there was complaining Complaints whenever this gym was talked about being built. Complaints about whenever we talked about going from worshiping upstairs in the great room to worshiping down here in a gym. Complaining whenever we decided to build more parking. Complaining whenever we talked about renovating outdated areas. Complaining about having to do background checks or making a secure area for children's ministry complaining about taking out the mailboxes a few years ago. And the list goes on and on and on. And if any of you want to email me because you want to complain about the recently painted foyer or cafe, I'll just have one more thing to document, right? (laughs) And the way that I love to say this, and you've heard me say this before, some of you, I can't document it. But I am pretty sure that there was complaining whenever the decision was made to bring in indoor plumbing and tear down the outhouses for this church. And see, we can laugh about this because it is true. And I bring this up because a part of dealing with a problem is acknowledging that you have a problem. But beyond that, we can thank God that in every generation, In every generation, there were men and women of God who worked hard, who patiently endured, and who patiently suffered. 
They didn't give up their first love. They didn't major on the minors. They didn't let the negative Nellies keep God from moving his church forward into health and effectiveness. I mean, come on, there are plenty of 200 plus year old churches that didn't have people like that. And things never changed. And people fell more in love with the method than the message, the model than the mission, the traditions than the effectiveness. And it was love lost. And there are very real consequences for churches that do just that. More churches. More churches lose their love for Jesus and one another because of infighting, misplaced priorities, and mission drift than anything else. Let me read that again. More churches lose their love for Jesus and one another because of infighting, misplaced priorities, and mission drift than anything else. When we take our eyes off Jesus and what he has in store for our future, we lose sight of what he wants to do in us and through us. And our relationship with Christ is much like a marriage. It's not self-sustaining. It requires hard work if you're going to keep that love burning bright and keep your first love close to your heart. And much like neglecting a marriage, there are very real consequences for churches that neglect their love relationship with Jesus and one another. But if you don't repent, Jesus says, if if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus doesn't threaten. He promises. He doesn't threaten. He promises. If we as a church do not maintain our love for him and our love for one another, we simply get crossed off that list of churches that exist in Jesus' name. 2019 in the United States, 4,500 Protestant churches closed their doors for good. Does anybody think that number is getting any better with the past couple years? Jesus doesn't threaten. He promises. See, love is so central to who Jesus is that it's a marker identifier of us, his true bride, the church. People will know we are his followers by our love for one another and our love for Jesus. And when that love is missing, we're just playing church. We're just singing songs, we're reading scripture, we're preaching, but it's all for naught when we lose our love for one another and we lose our love for Jesus. And his promise, Jesus' promise is that he will remove us. Why is that? Because we're not representing him well to the culture around us. We're not fitting to be known and his bride. Letter starts to wrap up in verse six. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds 
of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Nicolaitans were believers who would compromise their faith in order to enjoy more of the world around them. The Nicolaitans had sort of bound and brought together these practices of following Jesus in the New Covenant Church. And then they had also brought in these Old Covenant practices from the Old Testament. And then they also brought together some of the Greek practices for worshiping the Greek gods at the Greek temple. And they sort of just brought all of those things together into a cultural, a societal religion. And the Ephesus church had taken a strong stance against the heretics. And this was found to be in the favor of the church in Ephesus. And then here's the closing, the exhortation from Jesus. Anyone who, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Simply saying, listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. And if there are adjustments to be made, make those necessary adjustments. Adjustments in our personal lives, adjustments in the life of our church. Let's make a proactive, conscious decision to remain faithful to our first love. And Jesus promises that this will be our reward. He takes us back to the very beginning. He takes us back to Genesis, to the tree of life, where anyone who ate of the tree of life would have eternal life. Jesus promises you're going to have eternal life. Life in its fullest, not just in the here and now, but with me for all of eternity. So how are you doing? How are we doing as a church? Let's take our temperature and make sure that we're not growing cold or lukewarm in our love for Jesus, our love for one another. C.S. Lewis tells us this, the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. Do you get that? That whole idea of love is a feeling, I don't love him, I don't love her anymore. Love is so much more than a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a decision. And even if our feelings come and go, fade, God's love for us does not. Some of you remember um, back into the 70s and prior times, if you had a pickup truck, if you had a station wagon, it was just always that big bench seat up front, right? There were no center consoles. You could easily cram three, four, maybe five people in there. Stories told of a farmer and his wife. They were up there in years. They were riding along out in their old truck. And and the wife says, we just don't sit and snuggle up anymore in the truck like we used to. And the husband says, I haven't moved God hasn't moved. If you're not feeling that intimacy, that depth, that love, that passion, 
If you're thinking like God is distant or Jesus is distant, he hasn't moved. It's always you and I who move. It's always the churches that moves. He's sitting there, he's waiting. He just loves for us to get up tight and close and personal and intimate in our relationship with him. But you and I get to make that move. Your connection card, it reads like this, whether you're online or in person. Would you just take some time this week just to be with the Holy Spirit, just space to hear from God? Take your temperature. How has your love for Jesus grown cold? Has your love for Jesus grown cold or lukewarm? Is it time to go back to what first drew you to Jesus, to start back at the beginning, to do those same things again? Just take time to process that this week. And here's what I'd love to hear for you, from you, because it looks different for all of us. What grows your love for Jesus? For some of you, just marinating in Scripture grows your love for Jesus. Others of you, you just need to take a walk with Jesus. That grows your love for him. And the list of things that grow our love for Jesus goes on and on and on. But what is it? What is one of those things that just builds that depth of love and intimacy in your life and in your relationship with Jesus? Would you just name it? And then just do that one thing this week to continue to reignite and keep that passion, that love for Jesus, that love for one another burning bright. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us, for what you wrote to the church in Ephesus is incredibly real and relevant to us today. So Father, for all the people here who are working hard, who have patiently endured, who are patiently suffering, you are walking with them. You see what is going on and you are pleased. For those who aren't compromising their beliefs to make the world around them or to make other people happy, but they are putting you first and foremost, Jesus, in their life. They're walking in truth. They don't follow liars. They're willing to call out those who are making false claims. They're willing to say true to you even when it's not the popular thing to do. You are walking with them. You see what is going on and you are incredibly well pleased. You also notice the bad for the times when our love fades. Our love for you fades and it seems like you're at a distant. Remind us that you haven't moved. We get hurt by other people in the church and man, we just we lose our love for one another. Father, you see that lost love and you know that we're no longer representing you well to the culture and the world around us. And you just exhort us to go back to the beginning, to, to reignite that passion, that flame of love for you and love for one another. And may we just do those things. May our love burn bright. May you see that, may you notice that, and may you be pleased. May Crossroads have the opportunity to continue on, being a light in our community, pointing people to Jesus. May we be found faithful before you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Thank you.